Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of No Script, No Problem on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? I'm your host, Steve Berkowitz. I've been interviewing extraordinary people from all walks of life for the past 20 years as an unscripted television producer, and before that, as a small-town sports reporter. Each episode, I talk to talented people from the worlds of documentaries, reality TV, game shows, true crime, sports, business, and much more. If you enjoy No Script, No Problem, please subscribe, download, and rate the show with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and TuneIn. You can also find it on Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. Please follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. All right, let's get started. Today, my guest is a pioneer in unscripted television, specifically in the world of pranks, stunts, and comedy. He's a showrunner, executive producer, director, and content creator, currently He is running his own production company called Sunny Sky Productions. His credits include Bad Grandpa, Jackass, and pretty much every iteration of that franchise, Nitro Circus, and pretty much every iteration of that franchise, Wild Boys, and Half Pint Brawlers. You cannot forget that one. Please welcome Trip Taylor. Trip, thanks for being here, man. Oh, man, I'm so excited to be here. That's a great intro. I forgot I did a lot of that stuff. You know, 2000 was the first year that Jackass Mm. started to think that you had, you know, a candid camera before then. You had some prank shows, but Jackass was that first show where you were like, holy shit. Like, I cannot believe these guys are doing this on television. What was it like in those early days of Jackass with Johnny Knoxville and Steve-O and Bam to do these types of things on a network like MTV, what was that like? Oh man, I can't believe we're still talking about it today. How about that? It was it was really fun. I had just come off producing the Tom Green show and I met Knoxville and Spike and Jeff Tremaine and they're gonna shoot a pilot and I couldn't do it because I was doing the Tom Green show. Um, I met with them and when they showed me the video of what they wanted to do, it was so raw. Like it was so good and so like something I'd never seen before. And um, I just knew that if it went to series, I had to jump on it. I was blessed enough where, you know, the pilot, they had a few problems. They got arrested a couple of times and Spike asked me to come in the series. And um, it was, it was unique because they had never done TV before. So not only was I producing the TV show, I was kind of teaching them how TV worked, but it was a small, I mean, a small group of us, we moved really fast and quick. It was guerrilla TV, really. I mean, there was, I mean, the ideas that we came up with um, and it was my job to get them approved and um, that made it to air. It was like nothing that anyone's ever seen before, I don't think. In terms of those like, you know, ideas to get mm-hmm. them approved, what was the reaction back oh. in the, yeah, like like when you're talking about, you know, sticking stuff up Johnny Knoxville's butt mm-hmm. or, you know, Steve-O, I mean, you know, the amount of things yeah. that went up their butts and you know, <laughs> the, the thing the how many times they got kicked in the nuts or, oh, or something got, they hit them yeah. in the nuts. 
what were the reactions that you were getting as you're pitching this to MTV at, the, at that time? Um, we would actually, I'll tell you a little secret that I don't think I've ever told anyone, but um, it was, it was hard. It was, uh, it was definitely like being a psychiatrist, right? You had to figure out uh, unique ways to pitch it. So it didn't sound exactly as bad as it was. One thing I would do, and um, I still do it today. Hopefully no one's listening. I, we used to do what's called red herrings where we'd throw something we knew they would never give us. And then we turn around, all right, we'll give you that one. But what if we did this? And they're like, okay, okay, okay. And uh, even even through the editing process, the, the fights that I had with standards and practices are like no other conversations I've ever had in Hollywood. And I've had a lot of them, you know? It's uh, the things I would fight for to get on TV now as, you know, a, a guy with a teenager going to college. I was just like, what was I doing? I've found a way to... Uh, talk my way through and into things and convince people to do things that they normally wouldn't um, either approve or do. For the rare person who doesn't mm -hmm. recall, you know, back in, back in those days, Jackass, you know, featured pranks and stunts mm -hmm. with Johnny Knoxville and Bam Margera, mm -hmm. Steve-O. Kind of give me your first impression sure. of these guys, because now they're, these are household names. We all know who they are. Who were they when you first met uh, this cast man oh yeah so um it's weird it, i think it always feels like we on mtv we did a whole bunch of seasons for that but we only did two seasons how it kind of came about is uh jeff tremaine worked for a magazine called big brother that was actually owned by larry flint knoxville came in and was writing articles for them and then decided one day like hey what if we shot this and and put it on video but he shot himself with a taser, shot himself with a stun gun. And then literally, which you don't see that was went on the original tape that was getting passed around. He shot himself uh, wearing a really bad bulletproof vest with 38 snub nose in the chest. So that's how kind of it, it came about. But it was the original was Knoxville, who before that, I think, like I said, was just a writer, did a couple of small commercials. Um, Wee Man, who was a professional skater right, um, right. down in, in South Beach excuse me, South Bay. Um, Steve-O didn't come in until I think probably like the seventh or eighth episode. He was a professional clown in a circus in Florida. <laughs> he actually went to Ringling Brothers um, Clown College. And then Dave England and Aaron um, were two professional snowboarders who they all knew through the kind of skate and snowboard world. And then we kept, you know, and then Bam and the Philly crew. So it was Bam, Bam Margera, and then Reiki on. They were all part of CKY, which was kind of already shooting stuff and doing like little, remember the thing called a VHS? They were doing VHS tapes. Mm. I know. Yeah. Everyone's gone, what the hell are those? No, yeah. And then we kind of kept adding people throughout. Um, Brandon DiCamillo um, was part of BAM's group. And then um, he kind of stepped out for a little bit. And that's where we got Ryan Dunn who jumped in. And right. um, it was an ongoing progression throughout and, and still is of new people coming in and out. Because these weren't, you know, you look at impractical jokers mm -hmm. and these are our buddies pulling yep. these small pranks. Mm -hmm. Jackass was a group of guys coming together, you know, like mm -hmm. from different parts of the country, mm -hmm. different groups, like you're saying, some skateboarders, yep. uh, you know, Johnny was a writer. How did they gel oh, the man. way they did? Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the chemistry. I think right out of the gate, um, everyone gelled. I mean, I think everyone was so like-minded. I think everyone... I think that's why people gel with jackass because I think I always, someone can always say, hey, I knew a guy in high school kind of like Steve-O or like Knoxville or like, like Bam. Even to this day, you know, we, it's family. Like we, 
the production was set up in a way where it was so small that it wasn't a big Hollywood production. It was like five of us running an entire show and um, you did everything. You know, I was executive producer and setting up specialty camera and when I had to running audio and, and everyone gelled because it was like a family and anyone, anyone, it didn't matter who you are was a fair game. Like the first day I was just, it was funny cause we're Jack S four is coming out and um, we're looking at just some old footage. And before I even got introduced to anyone, Rick Kosick, who's a camera guy, we had him put on a little camera that we told him was a 360 degree mic, but it was actually a dog collar. So he stepped into my office and I had the knob and would turn the dog collar on and he got shocked. And his response to me was like, bro, I don't even know who you are. I've never even met you yet. So when it starts off like that, you know, it's going to get interesting. So it was fun. That actually brings up a good question, which is all these pranks have to be tested, right? Like mm -hmm. you and I've done challenge shows mm -hmm. where they have to be tested. Yep. How did you go about uh, testing these pranks to make sure that they would work? A lot of it is, we say, trial and error on camera. So a lot of it happens, you know, where that's the difference where, where jackass is trial and error and, and a lot of the fails are funny. Then you get to the my Nitro Circus side where it's very calculated and you can't fail because someone could die. So it's kind of two ends of the spectrum. I think uh, that's why Jackass is so much fun is that sometimes trying it out is the funniest part of it. And failure is funny. In terms of the creative, right? Mm -hmm. Like the prep for these, how much went into like, okay, we've got to up the ante on this one. Take us into the creative room in terms of how big you wanted to go, the genres, the spaces that you wanted to take things. Yeah, I think it's really funny because everyone thinks this jackass kind of happened. There, there's definitely a formula to it and the form, you know, trying to figure out the formula that worked between, you know, stunt and prank and what kind of worked or non sequiturs that, you know, that we would do. What was cool about the guys is everyone was trying to one up each other all the time. So it they kind of upped the ante a little bit, but it, 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 it was, the writer's rooms were very interesting because the guys would submit stunts for themselves or we would submit stunt, stunts for them. And it was like a, you know, a really bizarre, you know, bargain, you know, like, hey, you got to do this. Well, I don't want to do it, but like, hey, it's going to be great. And some of the times guys would not want to do something and someone else stepped in and they were bummed. They were bummed because it went really well. And one that I think of it off the top of my head was we had the, the chef and Knoxville came up with an idea to stick a toy car up someone's butt and then go get an x-ray and then communicate with the doctor about what happened. And Steve-O literally is like, my dad will never talk to me again. I cannot do it. I can't do it. So Jeff turned to Ryan and was like, what do you think? And he's like, no, all right, I'll do it. And it became one of the, one of the ones that, you know, I think everyone remembers from, I think it's the second movie for Ryan is the, the um, you know, toy car x-ray. And Steve-O to this day is like, ah, oh, I should have, I should have done that, you know? And Knoxville, I mean, he is a true leader. He's, he's not just a great producer and talent. He, he's a great instigator. He, he gets the guys and he's so sweet and so nice and he gets them to do things that you normally wouldn't expect, you know? Do you have a favorite prank? Let's start there. That, uh, Ooh, that I did do. On yeah. Okay. Tell me I what was your do. favorite prank from Jack? I, I love the long form pranks where like you think it's over and it keeps going and it keeps going and, and it ups the, the, the ante because that takes so much forethought and how to pull that prank because you've got to not only think like there's a direction we're moving forward, but if it goes left or right, how do we, 
how do we make it happen? And um, my favorite one was Terror Taxi, where we put Aaron in the trunk and uh, Jay Chandra Sikar was the driver and he didn't know who he was. And the idea was he was wearing, it sounds so silly now, we never would be able to do it now, but he was wearing a bomb vest. He was going to the Burbank airport and he never really asked what he was doing when he got to the Burbank. <laughs> he never really asked like, hey, when I get to the Burbank airport, what am I doing? Oh my God. And the whole gag was we were going to drive him. He's going to get in an argument with Jay. Jay was going to get him into a, we're going to pull into a back parking lot and, um, and convince him to get in the trunk. <laughs> and everyone's like, that won't work. I'm like, I guarantee it will work. Jay got him in the trunk. And then the reveal at the end was he was wearing a, a beard looking like an, uh, oh, no. a Middle Eastern person. And the final reveal was that was everyone's pubes. So <laughs> for about, oh God, I want to say like two months, everyone, the, the, the crew, a couple celebrities had shaved and put it in this thing where we had, so yeah. Wow. Not only did he get a, not only did he get hit by Jay Chandra's car, get put in the trunk and then revealed that his beard that he was working, wearing was everyone's pubes. So. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> Just another day at the office, yeah. you know? Just another day. Wow. Another good one, another great one that I loved was um, kidnapping Brad Pitt in front of Pink's hot dogs. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> no. Oh my God. So Spike um, was friends with Brad Pitt. He's like, hey, Brad wants to come shoot with us. I, I was so psyched he even knew who any of us were. One. He's like, hey, he wants to come shoot tonight. We got to come up with a couple gags for him and run him by his agent. So I ran him by his agent and is like, if you hurt him, you'll never work in TV again, which... What are you gonna do? Make me a carpenter again? I don't care. So one of the ideas we had was um, the first thing we shot with him, we put him in a monkey out, put him in a monkey outfit, and literally like he was doing everything. He was skateboarding. We we're pushing him in carts. He came down a hill on a um, a big like three wheel uh, scooter, and then when he fell, he literally did fall. His head came off, and it said Brad Pitt, and it was like, oh my god. Then you cut to Brad Pitt walks in front of Pink's hot dogs, and the van a van pulls up with all the guys like, hey Brad Pitt, what's going on? And he totally blows them off. And they go and kidnap him and put him in the van. He's fighting the entire time. And the van pulls off. And Dimitri, who's been with us from day one, is in the mix. And they're like, what happened? He's like, they just, guys on the phone, they just kidnapped Brad Pitt. So when we came back around to release everyone, the security guard came over and was like, hey, who was driving the van? I'm like, oh, that was me. He's like, I almost shot you when you. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah. That's, that's a perfect example of. You know, Brad Pitt, one of the biggest movie stars yeah. in the world, embraces the show so much that he wants to be involved with it. Why do you think Jackass became such a cultural phenomenon? I think it's because it's so self-deprecating and so you can relate to the characters and, the, and they're, they're lovable characters, I think. I mean, you know, in our business, what is it? It's like character and a great story, right? Well, this one didn't have a great story, but it had little stories, right? If I mean, our rule is like, if it's over two minutes, it better be really funny. And I think the guys are just, I mean, even to this day, like whoever thought we'd be talking about Jackass 4, right? You know, it's crazy. I feel so blessed to be part of this family. So um, yeah, I think, I think that it's, everyone can relate. Everyone can say, hey, I knew a guy like that in high school. Or if I had a dime for any time someone said, oh man, we used to do that stuff in high school. I wish we did that. We just happened to be the first ones, I guess, to have someone buy into it and pay us to do it.
which is always funny too, because even now we're like, oh my God, they're going to pass to do another one. I think <laughs> no one's like, no one's so jaded. They're like, oh yeah, of course they're going to. We're all still <laughs> surprised every single time. Is there a prank that you pitched that oh. got shot down that you really wish you could have done? I'm trying to think, prank. I know there was a, there's a couple of um, bits that we wanted to do for the films that no one would allow us to do. We wanted to do one called the Monte Cristo Sandwich. Oh, <laughs> which was taking Preston, getting him liposuctioned, and then taking that liposuction and making a Monte Cristo sandwich in his fat and then feeding it to someone. <laughs> and then um, because of bloodborne pathogens and, you know, which right. is something I, I, you know, come on, like how, why would I know that? Um, you become a scientist doing these jobs. <laughs> they would, we never could get it through I'm trying to think of some, I mean, Prank-wise, we've been pretty good. I mean, everything that we pitched, if it wasn't the exact version, we've ended up getting some kind of version of that. Um, I hate the word no. I don't take no's easily. So, I, you know, I fight for everything. And I think that's why we get along so well is that those guys could be funny and be creative and then I could fight for everything they wanted to do or at least get them something close. What is the most scared you've ever been with, you know, with these guys? Oh, man. We, we were... <laughs> There's so many, like I'm having flashbacks right now. I'm like, I'm getting PTSD. I think one, I mean, it's always weird when little insider. So before we did any prank on the street, we'd always call 911 and say, Hey, if you hear that someone's kidnapping Brad Pitt in front of Pink's hot dogs, that's us, please don't. But sometimes that doesn't make it through dispatch. So there's been a lot of times we did a thing called bloody windshield. It's not scary. It's just a weird one that, you know, you're doing shooting a TV show and 30, police officers show up, you know, like we're shooting a thing called bloody windshield. And the idea was Knoxville has blood and chicken parts uh, on the windshield. And he's driving around and asking people at gas stations like, Hey man, can you help me wipe this off? I need to get this. I'm in a hurry. And then we pulled shot it like three or four times and then pulled into where our old production office was and literally 20 police cars, guns drawn, get on the ground. So it's like everyone from, you know, our camera guys to production, all, you know, hands <laughs> over the heads. Um, we did a thing called Bloody Cell Phone, which was Dave England screaming, yelling on a cell phone to the point where blood started coming out of his ear. Oh, my God. And we we're shooting that in Portland and the entire Portland Fire Department and police showed up. I have a lot of shots of me or in the street trying to explain <laughs> what we're doing, you know. Hey, no, it's not really that. Oh it's this. God. Yeah, but I can't think of yeah. I mean, when I get to the night for circus side, there are, there are, there are stunts that are next level and or a Guinness Book of World Records that we've right. done or right. But for Jackass, I, I think the you know the only time it gets yeah any you know what any time we shoot Knoxville with bulls is scary. <laughs> um, one. I like that you say that with a straight face. You just. <laughs> You know, anytime we yeah, shoot, yeah, I know. You know, <laughs> as if it's like, yeah, as, as, as if you do that every day. Well, well you know. it's you know, we yeah. do it a lot. Yeah, um, we're glutton. Um, I, I think because two reasons: one, um, bulls, as Knox will say, always perform. They're angry and they're there to get footage. And Knoxville is just as committed to get footage. Right. Um, he he has taken so many hits for comedy for everyone's enjoyment. He is a true one stuntman and two entertainer for someone to put his body on the line for other people's entertainment um, is something I, res I, I got to respect. Yeah. 
It's a weird comment to make, but I, I you know. <laughs> so the movies, right? The, the Jackass sure. movies really, it, tell me a little bit about, you know, that process of going from, you know, a TV show, which, you know, that structure, you know, mm -hmm. you and I are very familiar with, I'm sure going into a movie, whether it's a 90 minute mm -hmm. to a two hour, yeah. it is a much bigger challenge. Yeah. And, you're, you know, you're having, yes, they're bits and still, but you're also wanting to tell a bit of a, you know, you're trying yeah. to tell a story. Uh, you know, most people don't know the reason that we, we went from the TV side is um, two films is we started to get a lot more no's. And there's a guy named Joe Lieberman who used to be a senator who, um, unfortunately, kids were doing things that they've always done, but it kind of came back to us as emulation that we were the ones spotting this, even though we'd never have had done it before. So Knox was like, I'm done. And then Paramount was like, well, what if we gave you the opportunity to do a movie and you could open it up a little bit? The first movie was amazing. The problem is trying to sell a studio where they kept coming back with, well, what's, what, what's the script? What's the plot? Yeah. And you're like, well, it's kind of vignettes. And they're like, no one could get it. Yeah, no one really understood it because it was so unique. Even though we had done the TV show, you know, you're making a, a Paramount film and they're like, we don't really get it. So that, that process was weird, you know, trying to, you know, you know, pitch that and then, you know, really stringent uh, guidelines for everything that we were doing and the movie vet, you know, everyone vetting the movie. But it allowed us to go bigger and, and, and better and um, put a little more money into the stunts and the pranks definitely got bigger. I remember after we had our first screening and we we cut the movie pretty long and the network executives from because the first one was mtv films and paramount right. i remember going back with the woman from uh, one of the uh, executives from mtv films and going to all the executives from paramount and mtv and they're like hey trip you know these guys i won't say names but one of the executives of the of the studio said trip thank you so much paramount will never release this movie and we're like, I'm like, did you hear that? She's like, oh my God, yeah. And then the guys came up like, oh, what did they say? And I'm like, we have to talk. <laughs> so we went back, we went back to the studio and, you know, the first movie cost about 5 million to make, you know, it was like not a lot of money. And we kind of convinced them we had someone who really was behind the movie and, and she was great. And, you know, we kind of saw like, it's a craft service budget for yeah. Transformers. Like, what are you going to lose? And then um, the first the movie came out, and then the first weekend it made twenty three million, and the same guy who said they never released the movie was like, "I knew it was going to be a hit." <laughs> so of course, of, of course. course, right? Hollywood, Hollywood. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm just so glad that you know another executive there really because it, it might have gone away. Do you feel like you know because there's stunts and there's motion and watch people watching it together as a group in a theater um, mm -hmm. or maybe gathering around whether you know they're watching mm -hmm. it together at, in their living mm -hmm. room or whatnot do you think it was almost a better experience as a movie i think it is um there's something about going to the screenings i mean we learn so much in you know in the screenings when we do the films like and we and we film them so we can watch it back and kind of say like hey for this frame right here yeah. here's where the reactions were to watch people cringe all at once to hear the like gut laughing yeah. laughter. Uh, I think that's why I still do this. Like I, you know, especially with Jackass 4 coming out in October, I think everyone needs something this simple to laugh at and just go and escape for two hours. But yeah, no, I think, I think I, I'm a firm believer of everything happens for a reason. It's been my entire career. Like I never came to Hollywood to be in, in, 
TV and film. So everything happens for a reason. I think this happened for a reason. We were, we were meant to do a film and that film went into the next and the next. And then the next iteration was, you know, how do we, you know, it started off, how do we get Knoxville out doing pranks because everyone knows who he is. All right, well, we put him in prosthetics and we do bad grandpa. And, um, and that was fun. Cause that was literally, you know, taking a scripted format and releasing it on the unknowing po population that become characters in a film, you right. know? So that, that was really fun. What's that process like in terms of, okay, you're working in the studio system yeah. as opposed to you're dealing with an MTV. You're now dealing with the studios. You're yeah. dealing with, okay, sh like you said, show us a script. What's the overall arc for these two hours? Yeah, like it's a different ball game, right? What's, what's the biggest challenge now dealing mm. with films? The biggest challenge is film moves a lot slower than TV. I think with the genres that, you know, we're turning into films, it's a lot of educating them what it is and, and why it's worked. And, and um, even though they bought it, convincing them what they bought is the right thing. But I think, I think, you know, after the first one did pretty well, um, the second one was easier and then it got easier. And then, you know, with the third iteration, it was like, that's easy. It's Jack S three. We're going to do shoot in 3d. And um, that was really fun, you know, cause we actually, for Jack S 3d, we, for the studio system started designing cause we couldn't do the big, you know, stereoscopic rigs for 3d so we had to design new 3d rigs that we could shoot in environments you know that normally people wouldn't go into so every every single film we've done has had a different obstacle you know even the first movie we you know we were so used to shooting on small digital cameras right, right. and then yeah. when we did our first screen test and blew that up it was like uh-oh <laughs> We were going to have a huge problem because there was a lot of artifacting and, and things just didn't look great. So we worked with a company in San Francisco and came that came up with a, a product called Magic Bullet, which then became, we actually, that was frame averaging. And then we came up with another algorithm to make sure the our, our stuff we're shooting translated to film. And then when we projected it, it looked good. So yeah, it's been an ongoing process to, it's not as, you know, wasn't as simple as taking a TV show and, and throwing it up on the big screen. Let's talk about bad, bad grandpa, you know, Please. just, yeah, <laughs> Please. yeah. So that, you know, like you said, that was a different yeah. step because now you are telling a, you know, you're telling a, a real story, right? Yeah. You're not, it's not just a multiple pranks. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is a real, it's all, it's a hybrid, right? Scripted yeah. with improv, right? Mm -hmm. So what kind of challenges from a producerial and mm -hmm. writing process, what kind of challenges did you face with bad grandpa? To be honest, that was that was a hard one. We um we went into it with a script and and an idea for what we thought the movie was. We uh, had Kathleen Keener in the film, the original. Um, she was amazing. Had her in prosthetics, and um you know she was part of the flashbacks and was. If you look at the movie now, if you look at the casket and the body that's dumped over, that's Kathleen Keener's face. So, she was in it. Spike actually played an old girlfriend in prosthetics. We've got a real lot, bunch of funny scenes, but when it cut together, we realized Knoxville and the young kid who played um, with Jackson Nickel. Yeah. Um, that dynamic was the movie. Yeah. So we actually re came back, revamped a little bit, and really? shot another forty days, and revamped wow. the movie. Yeah, because we thought we had what we had, and it it actually just just became not convoluted. It just it was funny. But when we watched the chemistry between those two, 
that's that was a movie and and we knew that we had to change it as a producer did you enjoy that complete change of pace from... i loved it yeah i loved it man um i'm i i love doing new things and finding new ways to do reinventing myself like like I said, man, I hate to, I, I'll never tell you no, I'll find a way to do it. And that's been kind of my whole career. I hate to say it, but it's a weird sense. Like in pr doing pranks, I have a weird sense of people as they walk into our environment, you know, who to take, who to do the prank on, who not to do the prank on. Knoxville has that same gift. Jeff has that gift. And yeah, just taking, knowing that you have to go into an environment where you have two actors that know what is supposed to happen and they're yeah. going to run lines to get other people engaged to be part of a scene where everyone else there just thinks they're having lunch. Right. And then to get them engaged, like when he uh, took a crap on the wall, right? Everyone else you see in that restaurant, the waitresses, the people sitting next to him, the only person that knows we're shooting a TV show is the owner. He's right. our one accomplice. No one else knows. So to get those people vested, and then be running lines and then get them to be part of your script without them knowing they're even being filmed. It, it's, it's fun. Yeah. And like I said, like I love pulling pranks at that level because you have what you want to do and set in stone. And then you have to think if it goes left, what do we do? If it goes right, what do we do? And then sometimes when it goes right, the improvisation gets better than what you even scripted. So what is the genius behind a Johnny Knoxville? his commitment to whatever he's doing, whether it's a stunt, whether it's a prank, not many people can push people's buttons like that and bring them on a roller coaster ride where he can push their buttons, get them angry, bring them back and make them friends again, and then push them again and get them angry again. That's a, that's a skill. Like that's a, that's a human skill that not most people have. He's charming to a fault. <laughs> And, and he just, he, I, you mean, I, I've worked with Tom Green, who has that skill too. Knoxville has that skill. Eric Andre has that skill. Yeah. But my, not many people have it. You know, there's people that can do pranks, but then there's people who can do long form pranks and really drive it home or committed to today, I'm going to get hit by a bull. And until I get what the shot I want, or I feel like I got it, I'm going to keep doing it. That's commitment. That's the other thing. When you work around us or in our group, the one thing you never do is tell someone, oh man, I'm afraid of snakes. <laughs> or, oh man, uh, I was uh, in New York and I was on top of a building. Man, I'm afraid of heights. Yeah. yeah because yeah. the next thing you know, <laughs> you're going to be in a room of snakes. I would think you clear all your social media out when you start working for you and your team. <laughs> you don't want anybody to know anything about you. I think a lot of people are just so excited to come and play with us. And then, like I said, everyone's a target. There is no yeah. one that is untouchable with this group, you know? <laughs> All right. I have to ask you about Nitro Circus because sure. we always look at the X Games and extreme mm -hmm. sports, but to put cameras on that and make a TV show about it and really do action sports as a yeah. show, I thought it was very game changing and challenging all at the same time. How did you get involved with Travis, the Nitro Circus gang, and how did that become a TV show? Long story short, we were shooting an Evil Knievel tribute to go inside to break up a 24-hour live show we were doing to promote the second movie. I got a call from a guy named Greg Godfrey who said, hey, I have Travis Pastrana. I know you guys are shooting this big stunt record show for Evil Knievel. 
um, I'll bring Travis out, but the only thing you can do for me is help me try and sell a TV show. They had to add a Nitro Circus DVD series, and I said, yeah, bring them out. So as we're shooting the show, Knoxville said, well, if Travis is here. I want to do something. So Travis was going to teach Knoxville how to do a backflip on a motorcycle. He doesn't ride motorcycles. He's very uncoordinated. Had to actually start him in second gear because he couldn't shift gears. Knoxville was on a full-size motorcycle doing a flip and went once, did okay. Everyone said, whatever you do, get the bike away from you. Don't let the bike hit you. Second time he went, the bike came down and the bike hit him. He stepped away and sat down next to me. I said, you're not okay, are you? He goes, no, I'm not. And put his hand in his pants and pulled back, pulled back a hand full of blood. Oh my God. He had ripped his urethra. So oh. the first time Travis and Knoxville met, oh. literally Nike's, Nitro Circus started by Travis breaking Knoxville's oh. wiener. So after that, Knoxville had to pee out of a catheter for three years, I believe. We Wait, went yes. Three years? Three years. One of the worst magic tricks he'll ever show you too, by the way, just so you know. Oh, oh it was bad. Thank you, thank you for that visual. You're very welcome. So we all came together, like-minded family. There, you know, like we always say, like Nitro Circus is the skilled family, you know, our skilled cousins who can do really big things and and not get hurt as much. So we literally all came together, talked about Nitro Circus, how we'd reformat it, went to MTV, and they're like, we want it. So it was fun. So it was back to myself and Jeff and Knoxville and, and Travis and a guy named Greg Godfrey and Jeremy Rawl and let us loose. You know, I think we did three seasons of that. And then um, they, a guy from Australia bought the concept and turned it into a tour. And from the tour, they said, what's the best way to do that is got back in the media game and brought me on as senior vice president to come down there and start back up with Nitro Circus on the media side. And it was fun, man. We did a, that's where Nitro World Games going up against right. S Games started yeah. and Nitro Rallycross and the Evil Knievel tribute that we did for history, which was the highest rated yep. cable show. Yeah. So, um, man, I've been super lucky to work on some fun <laughs> stuff with some fun people. <laughs> it all kind of blends together. When you ask these questions, I'm like, hmm, our world's just one big weirdness. When it comes to Nitro Circus, mm -hmm. unlike, you know, a, a jackass where, you know, these are contrived, mm -hmm. conceived pranks. Nitro yeah. Circus, I mean, th this is right. Travis's world, Travis Pastrana's yeah. world. These are action, you know, mm -hmm. extreme sports stars. Tell me yeah. a little bit about the difference from a creative standpoint, producing Nitro Circus versus producing Jackass. Sure. You know, Jackass is funny wins and keep everyone as safe as possible and, you know, kind of set up for failure, but as safe as failure as possible so no one gets hurt. Nitro Circus is just the opposite. It's you have to set up for success and really think everything through. There's a lot of science that goes into everything that we did for Nitro Circus because someone, and not being dramatic, someone could die. My first couple of weeks at night, back at Nitro when we're, I joined the company again, we were, we were doing two documentaries for NBC at the same time. We were doing Road to the Unthinkable, which was Travis trying to, he was the first one to do, ever do a double backflip on a motorcycle. And the second he did that, he had the vision of doing three backflips on a motorcycle. So we we're chasing his dream to do, do the first person to ever triple backflip a motorcycle. But to save money in that same week, we were doing another NBC show called Revolution Day. Two of the athletes want, were chasing the first ever quad backflip on a, on a BMX bike. So the first in one weekend, we we're going to break two world record stunts in one weekend. So literally shot at Trav's house and Josh Sheehan to pull the triple had to do one flip on the way up 
one at its pinnacle and then one on the way down, do it to an airbag, do it, do it, do it to a slope bag. And then I know that it's hard to comprehend what that is, but you practice, you practice, you practice and you pull the bag away and it's, that's it. If you, he was, he was 85 feet in the air. If you crash from 85 feet, you, I mean, I don't want to be that guy, but it's, it's tragic. And that weekend we broke two world records. We literally broke the triple backflip, which Travis was chasing and got hurt so much that he handed it off to Josh Sheehan and Josh Sheehan broke the world record for the triple, which will probably never, ever be done again. And then Jed Milden uh, nailed the quadruple backflip on a BMX bike, two world records in one weekend and say la vie. What was that like to sit there and be able to say, well, yeah, we just filmed history. You know, was, mm. did, was that a really rewarding part of your career that you never thought, oh my God, like I'm going to be here watching, you know, being part of actually producing a world mm -hmm. record. We move so fast that like you, you're like that weekend, right? You just, yeah, we just triple backflip world record. Right? Then you're moving ramps to go and try and yeah. do another one. Um, I think, I, I think the one that sunk in, in the most for me is like, wow, I can't believe I'm at this spot. And like, was the history show where Travis broke three of Evil Knievel's records all live, right? Because it's live. If, right. if something goes wrong in the first jump, you're like, how do we fill two and a half hours? And, and you know, and like any production, things go wrong, right? He, he did the first jump and you're going for the second one. He did the second one. And the big thing is we're going to have a helicopter chase him down, you know, uh, Las Vegas Boulevard and, and make it to the Caesars Palace jump. And it was super hot. It was like 120 degrees and the helicopter was supposed to chase him literally caught on fire and was on the tarmac. So it was like, and live, I love live because it's like yeah. you're solving problems in, a, in an instant. But when he was about ready to do the third jump and, you know, we are always like camera, we're not waiting for anyone. When he wants to go, he'll give yeah. the sign. When he takes his cape off, everyone needs to know if you're on it or not, he's going. Yeah. And his bike was overheating. So he took off. He's, telling us to go. He's in my ear going, my bike's overheating. I got to go. And I'm like, You're, we got to do it. And we took that off and he went and it was like the per most perfect light ever for this over this over Caesar's palace. And he broke three of evil Knievel's records in one night live. And I've been an evil Knievel fan forever. Trav's been an evil Knievel fan forever. And guy who helps me with a lot of my live stuff, um, Kemp Curley, we were all just like, wow, we just made history on history, which is even weirder. You know what I mean? Like yeah. not many people get, you know, it's like, you're like, Oh, it's a, you know, we made history on history. And when it was weird, when we were doing the first two jumps, we we're in a different parking lot and, you know, we're in the truck and you're not knowing what's going on at Caesar's palace. So like when the cameras came up on Caesar's palace, when he was doing his journey down the street, we had no idea. We had shut down Las Vegas Boulevard because there were so many people on the street. And when we, the cameras pulled up in Las Vegas Boulevard or at Caesar's palace, there was 15,000 people there. You couldn't, our ambulances from the other lot couldn't get into the lot. We were holding yeah. on our safety guys because no one could get into the lot except Travis. Jesus. So yeah. when moments like that happen and, and it's live and it all comes together, it, it's pretty amazing. Travis Pastrana, incredible re world record holder. Mm -hmm. Tell me a little bit about him as a, you know, being able to work with him and, oh, you know, his yeah. preparation and as, as, as an athlete, what was it like working with Travis? Just like Knoxville like-minded in the sense that um go for it attitude i i can say this knoxville and travis pastrana are two of the nicest guys i've ever worked with travis is not crazy he's calculated he'll he's gonna kill me for saying this he's a genius 
He is. He he sees it. Or if someone else is doing something, he sees it. He breaks it down, can tell you what you're doing wrong and 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 just makes things happen. He's one of the most amazing athletes I've ever worked with and inspirational and great family man. Like his girls are gnarlier than most people I know. Um, his wife is a professional skateboarder, Lindsay. Um, the whole family has talent. Yeah, I think I'm super blessed, man, to be able to work with such great, talented people and have been able to work on building two brands that, you know, people are still talking about, which is pretty cool. What's behind that mindset of, I want to walk the, the fine line between death mm-hmm. and breaking world records and being one of the biggest entertainers, you know, in the world? I, I, that's a hard one to explain. I mean, we've been, I mean, we've been trying to, you know, figure that if we could harness Trav's blood, I'm sure we could make some other great athletes. That is a mindset. Um, you know, I, I work with other great athletes like, you know, Robbie Madison, same thing. World record breaker, uh, Levi LaValle, same thing. They have a, and people are like, they're crazy. They're not, they're, they're calculated. They know exactly what they're doing, but I can't explain or I can't even fathom that moment where someone says go and you know that you have to fly over 400 feet to beat a record. Like, especially Travis during live TV, it wasn't like, hey, we're going to hold on. We're going to, it's like, hey, you got to go. You know, it's, it's like base jumping. Like, I don't, you know, I don't get that mindset or proxy flying where, you know, something could go wrong and your life's done. I've lost a lot of great friends doing what I do and Luckily, none of them while I was shooting what they were doing, it's usually, you know, uh, doing another sport that they love. But we just lost a friend a couple of days ago, uh, Axel Alex Harville, professional motocross rider who was going for the world record. He just passed away. So, no, thanks. But the mentality of these guys is they know that going into it. If we weren't filming them, they'd be doing this anyways, which I think most people don't understand. Like, it's not about the fame, the glory. They're doing it anyways. That, that's a that's a mindset that, you know, it is hard to explain. And it's different than most sports where if you're a great basketball player, it's your ability and your drive to win. If you're extreme, if you're doing big stunt, it's your drive to complete with the consequence of death. And that's a that's a mindset that I think hopefully someone will figure out. What was the scariest moment for you on Nitro Circus? I think the triple backflip because when we pulled the pads away and it was a hard landing, if anything, if anything went wrong, it, it was, it was going to be tragic. I think that was the, the biggest one. I, I've talked to other producers, you know, we, we talk, you know, each week about finding your niche or finding mm-hmm. your passion, your place mm-hmm. in this industry. Yours is, you know, big, huge stunts, hilarious pranks, but pranks that push people to the edge. Are you surprised every day that you found this as your niche and not home makeover or uh, docu soaps? Like, yeah, um, uh, my background is I come from a small town, Wellfleet in Cape Cod. I am a blue collar worker. I owned a landscaping business. I was a carpenter, and came out to came out to L.A. I've been on my own since I was sixteen, and literally came out to L.A. because um, my wife at the time wanted to be an actress, and I started building sets, and I was a PA. And I delivered peanuts at Christmas time to all the studios. Like no I've kidding. done everyone's job. Yeah. So like when someone's having a bad day, I can be like, I can relate to you. I've done your job. So yeah. Am I surprised? Hell yeah. I'm, I, I have a, I had a thing for a while. Do you know what imposter syndrome is? Oh yeah, of course. Dude, I had complete, like, even to the fact 
15 years into my, or 10 years into my career, I remember walking down the red carpet for Jackass number two and going, holy crap, I'm still fooling people that I know what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, I uh, every day, man, my motto is like, and I, tell, I, I bring it into every aspect of, of what I do, whether it be camera crew or production itself. Like I never try and get upset or, or, or get excited. So like when I do get upset or excited, it counts. And it's usually because someone's life's on the line or someone's doing something that could affect, you know, someone's life. And so, man, I'm super blessed to be still doing all this stuff. And, you know, I've done some stuff that you might not know about. Like I produced a black sketch comedy show called Lyricist Lounge. I did a show with Cameron Diaz called Trippin, where we took A-level celebrities across the globe and, and tried to trick kids on MTV to oh be God. green. So I've done other stuff, you know, but uh, it's just this stuff that kind of sticks in people's yeah. heads. Yeah. Yeah. You've definitely done the gross out stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, I figured you were the perfect person to ask about something that happened recently in our genre yeah. that made the news. The NBC show Slip and Slide, or I think it's called Ultimate Slip and Slide, mm -hmm. had a bit of um, an accident. I'm pretty sure <laughs> everybody <laughs> read about this. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. a first. I, you know what? Yeah. And coming from a guy who does a lot of stuff with poo yeah, and has yeah. never gotten shut down, that's, yeah, one, did, of, that's one of the best headlines I think I've seen in a very long time. Every journalist had fun with it. So for, for people who haven't seen the headline i think yeah. up to 40 crew members had diarrhea uh -huh. um because you know slip and slide everybody's familiar with the kid game you know you jump on and you slide across the front lawn they've used that ip and made a huge slip and slide show out of it yeah. and somehow that water got tainted you a giant a giant catastrophe if you will for oh my everyone God. um yeah. imagine being the executive on that one and trying to explain that one Oh my God. And like, I loved that every journalist was using some sort of pun, like, Oh, the ultimate shit show. And like, <laughs> you know, like you could just see like every journalist who had like been doing politics all day was like, Oh my God, thank, thank you for this well, story. I can tell you the conversations I have had to have about bloodborne pathogens, <laughs> what, what temperature vomit has to be cooked to before you can uh -huh. eat it. I feel their pain. Yeah. Uh, and I'm sorry that they had to, you know, get poo cancel cultured. Uh. Yeah. That's what happens when you play with poo. Sometimes uh. it doesn't work. Do you have a grossest story from all of your oh. days on, on Jackass? Is I have there... a million, I have a million gross stories. I mean, I'm not a big vomit guy. So we were doing one called the vomit where <laughs> Dave England would eat pieces of, of an omelet, like an, like a, uh, he'd crack eggs and, and, and throw it up into a pan and then we would cook it and Steve would eat it. And that, that just vomit. I can't, I can't deal with. So, you know, or the fart helmet when Steve was wearing the helmet and, and Preston was only supposed to fart in fart into the helmet to make him throw up and he pooed in it. Like, <laughs> My daughter, my, I, my daughter must be so ashamed of me. It's actually interesting. So, I mean, you started in 2000, it's, it's mm -hmm. 2021 now. Hmm. The evolution of these shows, right? The mm -hmm. evolution of Jackass and now into the movies and whatnot. You now have an audience that was in their oh. teens watching 
the TV show, and now you're, you're you know, the, the fourth movie is about to mm -hmm. release in October. What has been the kind of change in the way you do your pranks, the the style of prank, and and what has been the you know it, it's we're in a very different culture now. Yeah. Right. You have cancel culture. Mm -hmm. You have a, a very divided country. What mm -hmm. are, what's different about Jackass now than it was in two thousand? It's funny because we were just shooting something the other day that I can't talk about, but Spike looked at it and goes, can you believe we're doing the same damn thing we've been doing for 20 years? I don't think we've changed that much. I think what is awesome and has changed is I meet a lot of dads who are like, oh my God, I just introduced my teenager too, which I think is really cool. You know, like multi-generation jackass is something I thought I'd never say. So yeah, that's kind of cool. Like Pete, like, like my kid had no idea, you know, he's only seen the movies and never seen the TV shows or I introduced him to Wild Boys or, you know, uh, I saw that what you did with Tom Green, the Subway Monkey Hour. That was like things that I forget. I'm like, oh, my God, I forgot I did that. They're like, you know, when people bring it up, it's really cool to they're sharing it with their families, you know. I usually, you know, kind of wrap the show up mm -hmm. with what to watch. Now, you said that. Uh, Jackass 4 is coming out into the theaters in oh. October, which is great. I actually went to the theater for the first time in Ooh. over a year. And so I just, you know, normally I recommend like a documentary or a reality wow. show, but I just want to encourage the audience to go to the, you know, when you're ready, when you're ready, when you're vaccinated, go to the theater. Cause I, I cannot tell you, it was just a great feeling. I miss it so much. I definitely want to go back. I mean, please go watch Jackass 4, Jackass 4, October 22nd. I think it'll be good for you. I promise you will, you will not be disappointed. If you like any of the things we've done in the past, you're going to love this one. Is there it, anything you can, is there anything that you can tell I can't, us? I can't now because Knoxville is going to make a big release over the summertime. I can tell you that it's as big as and bigger than it ever has been. You'll not be disappointed. You want to see a fun show, please watch Shark Week, starting Shark Week in I guess, July 11th. We, our, our guys, I can't tell you what we did, but our guys did a Shark Week special that is amazing. Awesome. Um, so yeah. And then, um, you know, I've got a whole bunch of other stuff coming out. I can't wait for Good. hopefully to keep making you and everyone else laugh. And, and man, I'll tell you, you'd, I'd much rather be doing this than, you know, picking up a hammer and banging nails. So I'm pretty blessed, man. <laughs> if I could be... If I could be creative every day and make an idea turn into something that people can laugh and watch, it's a good day. A hundred percent. Trip, thank you so much, man. I know you're super busy and you got some pranks to pull off and you're <laughs> making a movie. And so thank you very much for the time. Oh, thank you, man. It's been a pleasure. That's going to do it for another episode of No Script, No Problem. For everyone listening, please subscribe, download, and rate the show with five stars. It's available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Audible, and TuneIn. You can also find it at Believe.com and at Believe Podcast. Follow me on Twitter and Clubhouse at Steve Berkowitz and on Instagram at Steve M. Berkowitz. You can also email questions that you have to no script, no problem podcast at gmail.com. If you're interested in advertising on the show, please contact Believe at Believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. And thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm Steve Berkowitz for No Script, No Problem. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.